Welcome to the Coptic Cafe live podcast, brought to you by Anafora Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coptic Cafe program. Uh, we uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we have uh, with us uh, tonight uh, the very blessed uh, Buna Krodos Ibrahim. You all know him from St. Paul American Coptic Orthodox Church uh, in Thuston. Uh, of course, uh, Abuna Krulus is uh, known by uh, all of us. Uh, he has a Master's of Theology from the Holy Apostles College and Seminary, and he also teaches in our very own uh, uh, Acts School. Uh, we're very blessed and uh, welcome, Abuna Krulus. Thank you for joining us, Abuna. Thank you for having me. It's a blessing to be with you. A great blessing to have you, Abi. Uh, we My welcome blessing. all of you to the Coptic Cafe program. And uh, to, tonight, uh, Abuna is going to discuss uh, a very interesting topic and uh, important topic, uh, quarantine as our desert experience with the Lord. And uh, given the times we're in and uh, all of the, the things that are happening, um, we, ha we can't but uh, talk about uh, the experience and what uh, lessons we can draw from it. And this is always the wise thing to do is to... Um, uh, examine the things that come our way and uh, learn the lessons. Um, it's not necessarily everything that happens is a punishment or a consequence or uh, sometimes, um, and, uh, you know, uh, nature takes its uh, course and uh, it's up to us to draw uh, on the lessons. So um, I'll turn over to Abuna to give us an introduction about the topic and uh, we welcome uh, all of your comments or uh, questions. Uh, if you would like, you can um, submit the questions in the QA section of the webinar. Uh, we closed the Google Doc, so we'll also address the questions that came before the show in uh, Google Doc. But for now, you're welcome to um, write questions for Abuna in the Q&A. Uh, so, Abuna, welcome and uh, give us your message. Thank you, uh, Abuna Joseph. It's, again, it's a blessing to be with you and to be with all the viewers and those who are joining us from all over uh, in these difficult times that we're living in. We're uh, doing the best that we can to connect with one another and to share and have fellowship. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to be part of that. Um, I just wanted to begin with a, a reflection uh, based on the title of, of our discussion this evening, Quarantine as Our Desert Experience with the Lord, by looking at two aspects of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we can relate those two aspects to what we're going through uh, in these difficult days. The first one um, that I, I think is a point of meditation for us is the life of, of Christ, our Lord, for the first 30 years living in Nazareth. The first 30 years of the life of our Lord, which by all accounts in the Gospels and the, in the, the little that was said of that time in the Gospels, uh, compared with uh, the three and a half years of, of active ministry and active life was really could be looked at as, as a time that was hidden, a time that was uh, lived in obscurity, a time in which nothing really great happened. You know, it's a time where, where really there's, there's an element of, of humility in the hiddenness of everyday life. And so as we, all of us are hunkered down in our homes in this quarantine, um, we can look at how Christ sanctified those first 30 years of normal hidden life, those first 30 years of 
living a life, uh, a family life, uh, a life of work within the family, um, obedience within the family, fellowship within the family, uh, a time in which really we're not so much concerned with outward activities and manifesting our talents and even uh, able to do a lot of the things that we normally would do, but, but kind of humbly accepting this hidden life and, and to see that there, if Christ lived 30 out of the 33 years of his life in this hidden way, then there's something there for us, I think, to, uh, to benefit from in our own experience of being hidden from the activity of the world. We need to learn how through this obscurity of being hidden behind our closed doors now, um, where we're not noticed, where we're not uh, praised for the things that we do externally, to find the sanctity of ordinary life, the sanctity of ordinary life, the silence, the family life, the redeeming value of home work, uh, work at home and so on. The, the second uh, reflection is the, of course, the desert experience of our Lord during the 40 years in the wilderness, uh, 40 days in the wilderness. And, you know, when we read in the gospels that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness or other translations have it that he was driven by the spirit into the wilderness. In other words, you know, the wilderness experience for Christ was something that he was compelled to do by the spirit. It wasn't something that he just thought was going to be a kind of uh, vacation or a time away from uh, activity, but it was something that was, uh, it was compelling for him in his, in his life and in his ministry. In the same way, I think all of us have been led into this quarantine. We have been driven into this quarantine. Um, and, and so the Holy Spirit is leading us, each one of us in this quarantine for something for some experience in the desert, for some experience in this hidden life behind closed doors without being able again to do all the things that we normally would do. And so what are the things that maybe we can think of in this desert experience where we follow the, this obedience of being led by the spirit into this wilderness experience? Well, I think you know, the desert is always this place where there are choices, right? And the desert, there's a, there's a story acts as a kind of parable of these four friends who uh, crossed into the Libyan desert by Jeep and they got lost and their, and their Jeep broke down. And so as they were waiting to be rescued in this burn, under the burning hot sun of, of the Libyan desert uh, and then the freezing desert nights, uh, they barely had enough food and water uh, to survive as they were waiting to be rescued. And so the tension began to increase between these four friends and they had to divide uh, the, the remaining food and water among themselves. And so this quarrel takes place as one of the friends spills some of the water and out of nervousness and the aggression of the others causes uh, them to, 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 to spill even the remaining of the water. And so this fight ensues and one of the friends is killed, he's suffocated. And so this, this adventure, this journey of these four friends turned into a murder and, and and so the reason why I mentioned that story just as a kind of analogy or parable is that the desert experience can do that, right? The desert can either be what happened with Moses and Elijah and, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a time of, of communion with the Lord, a time of sanctification, a time of purpose, a time of preparation, or it can be a time where we blaspheme God. It could be a time where we 
we, we lose even the little that we had. And so the, de the, the desert has this potential of, of forcing us to choose faith and hope and trust and love or to, again, to, to turn against God. There's a beautiful quote by Father uh, uh, Leva Merikakis. He says, the desert offers an occasion for two diametrically opposed solutions to the plight of man, either capitulation to the comforts of the satanic attitude, food, power, and possessions, or surrender to the mercy of God's providence. The desert is the place of utter poverty and therefore potentially of heroic trust in God. So the desert is an opportunity for us to have this heroic trust in the providence of God. And, and then I'll add this, um, this final uh, reflection of the desert as a place of mercy and compassion. Remember again, that in the desert experience of Christ, that the gospel says that when the devil left him, behold, angels came and ministered to him. Angels came and ministered to him. And so, though the desert uh, is a time of temptation uh, in which our vulnerabilities begin to manifest themselves, but also we see that the desert is a time of consolation, that God visits us in that desert experience and he consoles us. He sends us his angels. He sends us his saints. He sends us his, uh, his grace. And, and the same thing happened in Gethsemane, that in this, in this most difficult, we could call it even though it was in a garden, but a desert kind of experience, when Christ was uh, un not supported even by his disciples, that the Lord sent, the Father sent an angel to strengthen him, to console him. And, uh, and so if we keep these two images, Christ's 30 years in Nazareth, hidden life, a, sanct a sanctification of hidden life and ordinary life, and also the desert as this choice of trust and the providence of God, the goodness of God, uh, then I think we can see that this, this experience that we've all been led into, that we, have, we, have the, we are under obedience right, to follow, can be a great opportunity for us. Uh, it's not something we chose, but it's something, as uh, His Eminence uh, said to us as clergy, was imposed upon us. And, and therefore, we have to trust in the providence of God that, that there is something in this experience for each one of us that is meant to lead to our increased sanctification. It's not meant to be for our destruction. It's not meant to be for our demise or for the downfall of our spiritual lives. But if we can maybe in our discussion begin to tap into how we make the most of this quarantine, this desert experience, then I think we'll see the hand of God and uh, all of us will, will come out of this experience strengthened as Christ came out of the desert 40 days, prepared to begin actively his ministry and to bring salvation to the world. Thank you, Abuna. You're joining us on Coptic Cafe on Anapora Radio. Uh, thank you for joining us. And um, we have Abuna Krollo speaking about the quarantine as our desert experience with the Lord. Um, again, I invite you to write your questions in the Q&A answer, and we'll answer the questions, some of the questions that came ahead of time on the Google sheet. Um, Abuna, before we move forward, um, I wanted to have Otsek address an important um, concept. Um, the desert is known for its harshness. 
Uh, it's uh, very, very cold at night. It's very, very hot in the day. Um, it's uh, boring. It's, uh, there's no distraction. There's um, uh, thirst. There's uh, tiredness. So uh, you, you spoke about uh, the desert as an opportunity and a chance. But how do we, um, based on the human nature that we all possess, um, how do we deal with the harshness? Because sometimes it feels like in this day and age, if it's not easy and quick, not a lot of people have patience or, or um, perseverance. Thank you, Abuna. Um, well, as you said, the desert is arid. It's harsh. It's, uh, it's, it's a place where we confront ourselves. You know, in the silence of the desert, you can't run away from yourself. In the world, you can run away from yourself. You can distract yourself. You can be busy with many things, with many people. There are, there are many external uh, stimuli that you can constantly have circulating around you. But in the desert, in the silence of the desert, you just have yourself and God. And so the same thing happens with, it, with a, um, a deepened life in prayer, that as we enter more deeply into the life of prayer, all of the things that are hidden, all of the things that are um, layered in our soul, the, the, the dirt, the junk, begins to rise to the surface. And it's painful. So that's why the desert is a time of purification. It's a time in which we become purified. Um, so the first thing I would say is that we shouldn't run away from the experience. We shouldn't run away from the opportunity it is difficult. None of us like to confront, um, you know, the, the, the fallenness, the brokenness within each one of us. Um, but this is, the, this is in our Orthodox uh, spiritual theology is necessary because we know that in, 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 in spiritual life, there is a healing, a spiritual healing that has to take place. So I think the first thing we have to do is to, to not see this as something that has to be avoided that has to be remedied, but to see it as a gift, right? I, I know uh, your, your reverence and many of the listeners have heard the, some of the famous quotes by St. Isaac the Syrian who says, the one who sees himself is greater than the one who sees the angels. And the one who knows his sin is greater than the one who through his prayers can raise the dead, right? So this is not just hyperbole. This is not just, you know, exaggerated kind of spirit mystical uh, you know, talk, but this is, this is the, the spirituality of the saints, that self-knowledge is the most important gift that God can give us um, in that um, journey from the selfishness to the selflessness. Um, and so we have to embrace the desert, as painful as it is, but we have to embrace it knowing that it's a gift from God and that in that experience, that purification that takes place, we, we gain self-knowledge. And when we gain self-knowledge, we, we gain knowledge of God and experience with God. We have um, a question, a quick question. It says, um, uh, how can we distract ourselves if we are bored? Um, let's keep addressed it a little bit, but can we dwell on that? Well, if we think about um, the monastic life, right? All of us, in a sense, have been kind of forced into uh, a quasi-monastic life um, where we have this combination of solitude and community, 
right? Most of us are not living uh, alone in our homes, but we have <coughs> spouse and children and siblings and so on. Um, uh, so we have an opportunity to look at the, the desert fathers and mothers and learn from them how did they deal with routine? How did they deal with boredom? How did they deal with um, cycles, you know, a repetitive cycle? And so if we implement a little bit of discipline during this time where we uh, don't allow ourselves just to be moved by, um, you know, our own whims, but, but to set for ourselves some sort of discipline, you know, where we dedicate some time to prayer, dedicate some time to spiritual reading, dedicate some time to community, you know, fellowship with our families or through uh, all the online opportunities that present themselves now uh, with our churches and, and now being able to connect with many other churches and other clergy and other people around the world. So there is an opportunity for, for some fellowship um, to dedicate some time to, to, to silence, you know, to spend time alone as painful as it is and as boring as it seems, because the silence will train us, you know, um, to maybe spend a little bit of time in nature, you know, because now maybe we appreciate, you know, uh, taking a 15, 20 minute walk more than we ever have uh, to just go outside and to f smell the fresh air and to listen to the birds sing and to look at the colors of the flowers. Um, and so we begin to praise God in things that we didn't uh, praise him for, you know, in nature and so on. So I think the important thing is to establish some discipline. You know, if we just wake up and plop ourselves in front of the couch and start snacking all day and watching news all day with, the, with our laptop on our lap and going through our Facebook feed and Instagram and so on, then of course it'll lead all of us to a sort of depressed life. I think, again, looking to the monastic life, you know, uh, and finding balance discipline and balance and little it doesn't have to be we don't expect every one of us that we're going to spend two hours a day in, in in prayer and two hours a day in praise and two hours a day in spiritual reading but we can spend 10 minutes 15 minutes we can spend 20 minutes you know we can we can break up the day by by doing these things and i think if we do that uh, uh you know given that we're probably in this for quite some time you know we're not getting out of it anytime in the next couple of weeks uh, we'll be all the much better for it. You mentioned community and personal prayers and praying together. Um, there seems to be, uh, this question came more than once and it probably resonates with uh, a lot of people. Um, and we thank the participants, by the way, for joining us um, here on the program. And the question comes from um, Mark Skander and uh, it says, um, um, Actually, let me hold off on that question, Ibuna. There's another question that's related to prayer, uh, community, and individual. And it, um, this is a question that might be on the mind of some uh, people. It says, during this quarantine, my family has been praying some Agbeya prayers together. And while I do join them, I feel as though I can't pray deeply or truly when I'm around them, and I don't know why. I much prefer to pray alone in my room, and I feel guilty because I'm seeing a lot of the fathers saying this is a time to build a church in our homes, which I agree with, but I don't feel comfortable praying around my family. How can I remedy this issue and feel more comfortable uh, 
praying with them. Uh, and uh, another question came along and says, I, I can't even pray with the community. It's just, um, uh, I, uh, um, I don't feel like I can pray with people or the community. Okay, excellent questions. Um, again, I think if we, if we look to the monastic life, we see that monks and nuns uh, that live in community, they pray together and they pray alone. And there are benefits to both and there are differences to both. And the same advice that I'm sure uh, your reverence and, and, and all of our fathers give to married couples, that it's important for them to pray together, but it's also important for them to have a personal spiritual life uh, where they have some prayers by themselves. And so now when we pray together, we learn how to humbly live in community, to give deference to and preference to, um, to the other. And, um, you know, so we, we, we have liturgical prayers that we say in church together. And, you know, we might have to tolerate that somebody's voice is off tune, or we have to tolerate that, you know, uh, you know, the, the heat in the church is a little bit too much or it's a little bit cold, or, you know, so the, there's, a, there's an opportunity for us in community to, again, learn to die to ourselves a little bit for the sake of our brother. Um, and then there's an opportunity for us in the privacy of our room to open our heart to God in a way that we can't in front of others, to manifest perhaps a certain personal spiritual um, relationship with God that we, we hide in front of others but now when we're alone we can we can be free you know um and so again in, in the desert fathers they were they, they were keen to pray together but they were also keen to hide their personal piety for when they were alone behind closed doors between them and the lord so both both practices are important i would say to the person who asked the first question don't discard completely praying with your family, even if you find that it's less beneficial than when you pray alone, because there is a benefit there that perhaps you don't feel or you don't, you don't get an immediate um, experience of. Um, if your family is asking you to pray for three hours a day together, I agree it's a bit much, so you can have a conversation with them about, you know, as a family, if you pray together 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it's great. And you can then establish some time for, for your own personal prayers uh, but, I, but I do think that there is something that we learn in praying with other people, even when it's not as advantageous, instantaneous, you know, in terms of the experience when we pray alone. Okay. Thank you, Abuna. Um, another question that came in uh, has to do with something your reverence mentioned, and that is um, making uh, sure we don't bench on uh, certain things. So that's the question that came from Mark Skander. Um, it says, uh, <clears throat> complimenting you on your insight and your comments. And then it says, um, I found during this time a very common temptation for a lot of people. It is, uh, uh, is this gluttony of time where we have so much of it, uh, it can be difficult to have motivation to pursue spiritual practices or even just normal work and housework. The temptation of procrastination and time wasting is so easy to fall into, even if it is not wasting time on sinful things. Thoughts like, oh, I've got plenty of time to do this, I'll do it later, and 
all of the sudden the day has gone, how do we uh, tackle this? Very good question. Again, again, I think we can look to the monastic life as uh, as an image. Of course, we're we're not. I'm not suggesting by all of these um, examples that you know we're we're all called to be monks and nuns, but as an image of 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 discipline, right? And so, in the monastic life, they have time for meals, and uh, perhaps based on the individual needs of each monk or nun, there are some there's some flexibility. Some need a little bit more nourishment than others, and so on. But in the same way, you know, there's nothing, it would be a very good idea for us during this time where we're, you know, at home for 24 hours a day to establish time for meals and not to eat outside of those times, to not just allow ourselves to snack, you know, right after breakfast all the way until lunch and from then from lunch to dinner and then from dinner until, you know, two o'clock in the morning while we're on, on social media, you know, give yourself a cutoff time, you know, you know, I try uh, 6, 6.30 p.m. is my last meal. I don't eat or, or snack after that, you know? And so if you can, uh, you know, d develop some, some discipline with your eating, right? Then you can do it in other things too with your sleeping. So you're not one night sleeping at five in the morning and waking up at two in the afternoon and the next day you sleep at 9 p.m. and wait, you know? But again, to have some routine and have so, so, some discipline. Um, the important thing during this time, as I started in the beginning, we're speaking about the life of Christ in Nazareth for 30 years, is that if we see the value of the small things that we do during this time, we will all uh, we, we will all jump in the spiritual life. We will jump in the spiritual life because many of us think that the spiritual life is about doing big things, great things, you know. And so now that we're stuck in our homes and we can't do big things and great things, we can't go on pilgrimages to, to the monastery, we can't do, go to church and do services and so on. So we see what's the value of, of all of the little things that I can do at home, like helping my spouse or my parents, you know, with the cooking or taking up the garbage. But this is precisely, I think, what we want to gain during this experience is how to find value in the small things. Why not cook a meal for your family? You know, why not clean, offer to clean. Why not, you know, do the million little things that are available to you during the day to break your own will, you know? When, when you go to the refrigerator uh, to take three scoops of some, uh, some dish, force yourself to take two scoops, two and a half scoops, you know? Force yourself to go against your will um, so that you, you, you train yourself during this time in little ways how to make sacrifices, you know? I think that the, the, the spiritual life is paved with learning how to make small sacrifices with love regularly rather than um, big sacrifices irregularly. Thank you, Buna. Um, another question that uh, came in, um, several actually, uh, so I'll summarize. Uh, is this a sign of the end of time? Are we living in the revelation time? <laughs> Well, it's good for us to always be ready for the end because Christ said he will come like a thief in the night. So it could be, right? But it could, it, I mean, just as equally, it could have been, um, you know, three months ago. And that's on the, you know, in general, you know, there are signs that the, the scriptures speak about, but we have to balance those signs with the reality that no man knows the time when the Son of Man will return. Um, the, on the other hand, you know, there have been far worse 
um, catastrophes and plagues and pandemics um, than what we're experiencing now. And those happened hundreds of years ago and they weren't the end of the world. So we don't know whether the end of the world is uh, soon or whether we still have another 100 years or 500 years, whether there's a much worse thing to come upon humanity in 200 years that'll make what we're going through look like, you know, uh, a walk in the park. So we really, we really can't look at what's happening today and say, based on what's happening today, there's a clear indication that we're at the end. But Christ told us to always be ready and uh, to always uh, be prepared for our own individual end. None of us knows, you know, as I don't want to come across pessimistic, but any one of us today who is on this program is healthy. Any one of us, including myself, tomorrow could become sick. We could get this virus. It could, it could be something very fatal for some of us. It could, it could be something else. You know, it could be that in the middle of this pandemic, you know, one of us gets into a car accident or, or somebody has a heart attack. You know, there are a number of, of things that, that we also should be prepared for other than just the coronavirus and, and, and what we're going through. We have to be attentive to our own individual preparation for our meeting with the Lord. We all will have a meeting with the Lord in an unexpected time. And so we have to prepare for that meeting uh, regardless of what's happening around us. Thank you, Buna. And you're uh, joining us on Coptic Cafe with the um, uh, Annapura Radio. Uh, thank you for being with us uh, this evening. Uh, you have a chance to uh, ask questions in the Q&A uh, section. And uh, we're going to test out a new feature, Buna. Uh, we might be able to have people actually call in with their question. So nice. we have a question from Mike Kerr. Um, Mike, uh, are you able to uh, hear us and talk? Uh, I am able to hear, yes. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Hi, Mike. Hi, Abuna. That's your question for Abuna. So, so, so nice to, to be with both of you, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to, to ask the question. Um, so uh, I'm a, a parent of two little ones. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And so uh, my question was, um, what suggestions do you have for keeping the peace in the house? Um, the kids are restless. Uh, I have to work from home, unfortunately, so I don't, I'm not free with idle time. Uh, I'm working full time, connected with my office, uh, normal business hours. And I have two kids that <laughs> need a homeschool uh, teacher. So um, this is my struggle. And, and I feel that there's a lot of tension in the house. Um, are, are you and your wife able to um, switch off a little bit with the kids? So uh, I also some context. My wife works at uh, County USC, um, and so she has to go to into work. And so I am the single father during this time. She's on the front yeah. line. May God bless her, and protect her, and you and all the um, healthcare workers and everyone in the world. Thank you, Mona. Thank you. Well, I think your question highlights um, the very difficult circumstances that many families find themselves in. Uh, where, you know, people's lives have been kind of turned upside down in terms of, uh, you know, the arrangements that they lived by on, on a regular basis with uh, kids in school or childcare and, and so on. Um, and so I think you, like everybody else, you, you're doing the best that you can, obviously, to make do with, with the situation. And I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, you know, we, we as parents, we, 
we always complain about how much uh, our kids want to be on um, TV and, and the video games and things like that. Um, but thank God, you know, in the current circumstances, there's also a lot of good, um, uh, ho holy and, and, and beneficial uh, media, you know. So, you know, I would say if you can balance giving your, your children some access to, you know, some, uh, some good religious education online or through the TV, um, encouraging them, maybe the older one a little bit more to spend some time in reading, um, you know, if you can take periodic breaks in your work to take them outside, uh, you know, to get some of their energy out and run around a little bit and just, you know, again, get some fresh air, um, you know, and, and do the best that you can, you know, again, all, everybody is, is making sacrifices and everybody is, is, is living part of their life in a way that is not ideal, you know, and so I think, you know, don't be hard on yourself and be forgiving of yourself when, you know, when, you, when your patience runs a little thin, when, when, when people start, you know, the kids get on each other's nerves and they fight more because they're, you know, there's not much opportunity to separate them and so on. You know, again, this is an opportunity for us to learn uh, some virtues that maybe, you know, haven't been tested to this extent. Patience, forgiveness, reconciliation, you know, um, tolerance, all of these things. So I don't know if Abuna Joseph would like to jump in with some advice too. Uh, no, thank you, Mike, for calling. Uh, thank you, Abuna. Yes, no. Otsek, um, uh, you're hitting so many questions that are coming in about <laughs> practical uh, things that you can do. And uh, I'm just clicking off the questions that your reverence is answering. Um, it's very uh, important to keep in mind these little things. That's really what takes your mind off of boredom and um, um, embeds you into... Um, uh, a deeper practice of humbling ourselves and I love your uh, your uh, analogy or example of going to the fridge and instead of getting three scoops get two scoops you know this is something very practical very practical everyone can do that and we can just take it in measures we don't have to go to the extremes and uh, and all of that but every little bit of, uh, of the thing helps uh, let me ask you this Yabuna. it came before and um, we can move on if uh, your reverence already uh, spoke about it in details. Um, the idea of um, uh, feeling that uh, uh, it's going to be okay if I waste time doing this one thing here. And it's not really a waste of time. It's uh, a device to relax or calm down or just take your mind off of stuff or or take a break or or you know a, a litany of things but in the end we're talking about um, participating in something that is really procrastinating uh, uh, it's preventing me from doing the higher priority things first so mm -hmm. what what's a good um, way to look at it because at the moment it seems like it's fine uh, we have plenty of time like a caller earlier mentioned mark um, and said you feel you have so much time, you can just do it later. This this um, process of procrastination, how does it um, resonate with the brain and setting yourself up to be a certain character yeah. of a person? Again, I think, you know, and I touched on this a little bit earlier and, and uh, maybe I'll just expand a little bit, but I, I, I think, again, this idea that since, you know, you know, I'm not really doing the important things that I used to do. 
that all of the, the things that I, I can do are in the house, around the house, are really not that important. So I can just put it off, you know. Um, so I think, I think this is where, you know, that concept of metanoia, change of mind, you know, uh, needs to come in. We have to have a change of mind in, number one, uh, one of the uh, spiritual authors, he said that God has a word to each of us. There is the word of God, which is the scriptures, but he has a word to each of us, which is divine providence. What's the, the situation I find myself in now is a word to me from God. Just as important as fulfilling the word of God in scripture is to fulfill his providence for me, is to accept his providence, to trust his providence, to see the will of God in my current circumstance. And, and therefore, I find value. I find value in what God is, is, is granting me at this moment. You know, I, I often say, for those of us that you know, live in Southern California and we get stuck in traffic, that instead of cursing you know, the traffic and cursing the person who's trying to get into my lane, and what if we simply accepted that this is the best and most beautiful thing that can happen to me is to be here at this moment in this traffic because it, God has, has willed for me to be here. God has allowed for me to be in this situation. That doesn't mean I can't try to you know, uh, change my GPS to find a faster route. But if I'm stuck in traffic and I can't change anything, then I should, I should give thanks. I should glorify God and say, this is the best place for me to be in because this is where you will for me to be. And therefore, something that seems like it not only lacks value but has a negative value now has a positive value. It has a beautiful value because it's, it's God's will. And so if I can find the value in, in the situation I find myself in, then I can see that it, it, it is something to be obedient to, something to, to fulfill, something that, again, adds to my sanctification. And therefore, I shouldn't uh, put it off, you know, anymore that I'd put off things that I think are more important. But again, I would say the spiritual life is paved with small acts, small sacrifices, small good deeds, small um, decisions of self-denial, you know, and, and when we train ourselves in these small things, then when the big things come, we can say yes, right? We can be able to, to do the big things that God may ask of us later because we have prepared ourselves through many little things. So I think it's, it's about a change of mind, you know, seeing the value of the present moment and seeing the value of what seems to be very mundane and very boring and very, you know, non-exotic, but to see in that the will of God. Christ often spoke that he, he came only to do the will of the Father. He had no purpose but to do the will of the Father. So the value of, of Christ's earthly life was in fulfilling the will of the Father. And so same thing for us. The value of our life is in fulfilling the will of God. And if the will of God is for us to be stuck at home, you know, and dealing with all of these million little things that seem so, again, non-exotic, then, 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 then I should find value in that. Because in doing that will of God, I find my salvation and, and grow in sanctity. Thank you, Abuna. Uh, you're uh, watching the Coptic Cafe program on uh, Anaphora Radio. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're speaking about quarantine as our desert experience with the Lord. Uh, we're blessed to have Abuna Krulus Ibrahim from St. Paul American Coptic Orthodox Church um, in Irvine or Tustin, Abuna. <laughs> Church is in Tustin, right on the border with Irvine. So, <laughs> okay, Abuna, um, 
uh, I'd like to remind the blessed participants, um, if you'd like to ask the question uh, yourself, uh, please indicate that you would like to do so. Um, I'll turn on your microphone so you're able to uh, ask Abuna, and then I'll turn off the microphone again. Uh, but um, I don't know if you'd like to come on or not. So when you ask your question, uh, just please indicate and say, I'd like to ask myself or something to tell me that you don't mind putting you uh, live on the air. We have a question. I wish um, um, that person would be able to come on and explain it better, but I'll read it for now and the person can comment and let me know if they would like to come on the radio. Um, it says that um, <clears throat> I, had to, I had to move from my hometown and lost connection with friends, family, and uh, had no job. This time of loneliness and extreme boredom helped me grow and develop and question who I was on and um, all that I did. I don't even really notice a difference be, being quarantined right now because of that experience. I still feel like I'm working on myself and developing into who God wants me to be. I've discovered skills I never knew I had. It is a blessing to be forced to um, face yourself in quarantine. So what's your advice, Abuna, for those who did lose friends or came back and are sheltering in place? And well, that's a wonderful comment. I really appreciate the person who shared that. It's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, I, I guess my, the first thought that, that came to my mind was, you know, with the word loneliness and, you know, sometimes loneliness is a gift because when, again, when we are able to surround ourselves constantly with lots of things and people in our lives, um, you know, we, we hide that inner loneliness, uh, that's, that's there, which is, which is something that is longing to be filled by a real communion and, and, and uh, relationship with the Lord. And so sometimes when those things are stripped away, our community life, our fellowship at church, our friendships, uh, social gatherings, and so on, and we begin to experience that loneliness, it's, it's an invitation, it's an opportunity. You know, all of us, no matter what we do, um, will always in this life experience some level of loneliness because we long for eternity. We long for heaven. We long for to, you know, to be with the Lord and, and, and to fulfill our, our, our calling. Um, but that loneliness is an invitation. It's pulling us to a deeper relationship uh, with the Lord. So, um, so I would say that, um, that you know, with this um, caller, the, this comment that came in, you know, talked about how loneliness can be transformed. You know, and we to, not only to self-knowledge, but into a, a deep, deepening relationship with the Lord in prayer, a more authentic relationship with the Lord, not just reciting words and, and uh, going through ritual, but really feeling vulnerable, you know, and, and crying out with pain. And the other thing that I was thinking of is, um, and I was thinking a lot about this today, is the loneliness of those who are dying right now. Because as many of you have, have have read or have heard in the news, you know, all the hospitals are refusing any sort of visitations, even from immediate family members. If somebody is in one of these hospitals with the virus, their family members are not allowed to be next to them, even spouses and parents and children. 
Um, and so for many, I mean, the thousands that are dying now daily around the world, you add up how many died just in New York City just since yesterday, plus in Italy and Spain and all these other places, thousands of people are spending the last hours of their life alone. You know, even the, the, the doctors and nurses are covered from head to toe, you know, in gear and depersonalized, depersonalized, you know, they, they can even perhaps see them smile or, 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 or glance at them with, with, with love. And so the last, so the reason why I say that is that maybe all of us who are going through some isolation and loneliness, why don't we offer that loneliness as a prayer and say, Lord, I accept to be lonely, but visit this, these people and, re and, and relieve them from their loneliness. Visit them in these hours of agony as they prepare to depart this life. Visit them with your mercy and your love and your grace. You know, at least we can um, have some sort of fraternal communion with all these people around the world who are dying in loneliness and accept our loneliness as a cross with them. Um, thank you, Buna. Um, and another question that came in before the show started uh, from the Google Doc. Um, it says that uh, many of us are struggling to understand what is happening in the world. And of course, uh, we feel compelled to pray for, to God to intervene. My question that my small mind is having trouble with is this. When I pray, my initial instinct is to ask for God's per protection from the spread of this disease, to ask for his compassion and healing for those affected, etc. However, this makes me feel conflicted and makes me wonder, am I really asking God to be compassionate as if he isn't already the most compassionate one? Do I really think that I could have more compassion that, than he? Therefore, since he's allowed this, is it foolish for me to even bother asking for him to do anything differently than what he is already allowed? What he is already or has already allowed? Why would he even listen to me since my thoughts and understanding are so limited? If I say, please guide the leaders, doctors, etc., and protect those in harm's way, etc. Isn't he already doing that? Or when we pray for comfort and peace, does that mean he doesn't already give us those things unless we ask for them? So I guess what I'm asking is what should we pray for? Also the same question goes for asking for intercession from the saints. And if Otsa can work in how to deepen <laughs> the a life of prayer because that's a separate question but it's kind of related sure so um a couple of thoughts um the first thing is, is that god wants to hear from his children he wants us to speak to him from our hearts everything that is in our hearts everything that is in our minds even though he knows everything already but he wants to hear from his children and so he delights in that his children open their hearts to him and pour their hearts out to him. So you should never, you should never be weary or question the benefit of opening your heart and your mind to God with whatever is inside, you know, your fears, your, your worries, your joys, your concerns, your prayers for other people. Speak to him as a child speaks to a father, right? Secondly, 
um, God wants from us our love for other people. And, and to simplify what I want to say here, imagine that what, what moves God's hand to intervene um, in the lives of other people based on our prayers is not just that we have the right formula with words or, or the right number of people that, that you know, say a certain prayer, but it's the love that's behind the prayer. When I feel compassion and love and pain for the person that I'm praying for, this moves the hand of God to act. You know, Elder Paisius has this beautiful expression where he says the spiritual person is a mass of pain. He feels the pain of the world. He feels the pain in the things of, of those that um, are known to him and, and uh, all of their sorrows. And he's with that pain. And when we manifest that compassion and that love through our prayers, God is moved to act. He is moved by our love. He is, he is, he is moved to, to bestow grace and mercy and, and, uh, and even miracles based on, on, on our love. There's a nice story I've said to those who have heard me speak uh, before, but also mentioned by Elder Paisius. If you don't mind, Abuna, I'll just mention it. Um, he said, um, Elder Paisius uh, was a modern saint who was canonized um, from Greece. And uh, he was he reposed in the early 1990s and was canonized just a few years ago. And uh, you know he had the gift of, of performing miracles and healing people. And he had hundreds of people that used to come to him daily with their problems. And so one of his spiritual children uh, discovered that his friend was diagnosed with cancer. So he, he went to Elder Paisius and he told him, you know, Elder, I know that if you pray for my friend, God will heal him. And so Elder Paisius said to him, okay, how about if we agree that I will take 50% of his cancer and you take 50% of his cancer and uh, we'll ask God then to heal him. So the, the man, of course, surprised by that response said, but elder, if I take 50% of the cancer, I will die. So he said, okay, how about if I take 9% of the cancer and you just take 1% of the cancer? So again, the man thought about it, but still he wasn't satisfied because still 1% eventually will grow and spread and you know, be his demise. So when Elder Paisius saw that his hesitation, he said, look, unless, unless you pray with that kind of love, then we, we cannot move God to act. Now, God is not going to give us the cancer, but he wants that kind of, he wants that kind of willing to feel the pain and, and um, compassion. Second point then is, is that not only does God love to hear from us and want to hear from us, even the things that he already knows, but God acts and he is moved by our love for others. You know, he takes that love and he applies it, we could say, in a very simplistic way. You know, and that's how intercession works. You know, that, that intercession that we, the saints, that kind of goes to the, maybe a, what you mentioned, up question, you know, is that the saints, they're not just because God owes them thing that they can intercede for us, but because they have great love. And their love for us is even greater now than it was when they were on earth. They, 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 they now share in that divine love in a more perfect way. And so therefore, the, the mother of God, her love for the world and her love for her children is, 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 is you know, an, a divine love now. It's, it's an intense love. Um, and so it's that love that compels Christ, compels 
um, God to act in the world. So uh, I'm not sure, did I, was there a part of the question that I missed, Abuna, the last part? I, no, I, I think the last, okay. uh, it's about deepening your, um, uh, deepening deepen our prayer your prayers. So very briefly, because this is a, a whole subject by itself, I would su suggest um, personal by prayer way, at three may, levels. Yes. If I may interrupt, we would love to have you back again. We'll take a blessing, Abuna. We'll take a blessing. If we can book you for a future uh, uh, we'll take program, a blessing, Abuna. <laughs> but um, think of personal prayer at, th at three levels. There is the, the verbal prayer, the recitative prayer, where we recite the Psalms and other prayers that were written by the saints and so on. Um, and then there's uh, meditative or mental prayer where we do some spiritual reading in the gospels or the prophets or a spiritual book. And through that reading, we activate our mind and then our mind activates our heart and we begin to pray with the thoughts and the ponderings and the, and the beautiful images that are presented to us in spiritual reading. And then the third is a more contemplative silent prayer, which is learning how to be silent before the Lord, being, you know, quieting our thoughts, quieting our, our heart and our mind. And it's more of just a, a loving attentiveness before God, you know. And so those three forms of personal prayer are essential, you know, that we practice uh, the prayers of the church, especially the Psalms and the Egbeya and the other prayers that were handed down to us by the saints to, to do spiritual reading in a prayerful way, especially with the Gospels, and with other good spiritual books like the lives of the saints and the writings of the saints. And then the third is practicing silence and practicing, uh, again, attentiveness um, without uh, words so much and without um, even reflection on something that we're reading, but just learning to be silent be before the Lord. And maybe we can use the Jesus prayer as a way to enter into that silence by quieting the many thoughts that, that come to us. Uh, I always quote this uh, article that I read several years ago. It was a secular article that said that the average person has 70,000 thoughts per day. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, maybe part of the spiritual life then is just to practice how to reduce those 70,000 thoughts, which are probably mostly full of anxiety and fear and regret with, you know, thoughts about God, thoughts about maybe the Jesus prayer or, you know, other expressions from the Psalms or, you know, by just, by, by, quieting those thoughts you know so a big part of the spiritual life is just dealing with the bombardment of thoughts that we and so we practice silence to train ourselves in doing that so three levels are all important and all should be operative in our spiritual life on a regular basis we should not neglect one or or the other thank you Buna. um another we're coming up on the end of the program by the way um we have just about five minutes or so so we'll try to go quickly with the questions and um if your reverence has time, uh, may we stay behind, behind 8 o'clock and continue to answer a few questions? My pleasure. Okay, so we'll end the program at 8 o'clock uh, just so that the episode is marked for uh, uh, archiving, and then we will continue if more questions keep uh, coming up. Uh, we have a question here that says, um, uh, how can we distract ourselves from sexual desires during times like these when we are bored and have nothing to do? From Anonymous. Again, I'll go back to um, you know, something that I mentioned early on in the program uh, with regards to the monastic fathers and mothers, right? How did they deal with boredom? How did they deal with 
uh, you know, being alone with their thoughts. Um, on the one hand, you know, there will always be spiritual warfare of thoughts. We will never, we will never rest in this life from warf warfare of thoughts. And so we have to accept that, th that a big part of the battleground of spiritual warfare and spiritual life is fought on the level of thoughts, even to the grave. Um, and so we have to just accept that as part of the, 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 the bearing of our daily cross. Um, but the second point is that, again, you know, um, we learned from the early experience of St. Anthony in the desert, you know, keeping busy, right? Having discipline by spending some time in work, spending some time in reading, spending some time in prayer, spending some time in silence. By diversifying our day, we avoid just getting stuck, you know, where we're kind of just, you know, sitting in front of our computer screen and wandering from website to website and then eventually getting ourselves into trouble. Now is actually a very good opportunity, especially for those who, who, who are, you know, who live in households that have, you know, four, five, six people, is that there's less opportunity now, you know, in a sense to kind of, you know, I hope there's less opportunity to just, you know, hide alone in one corner of the house, you know, and so this is, this is perhaps a good time to be more accountable, more accountable by being more open, you know, if you're on your computer, you know, have your computer screen open in the family room, in the living room, you know, um, leave the door open in your, in your bedroom. Don't, don't spend a lot of time hiding from the rest of your family so that you're not tempted, um, you know, to go on, on inappropriate websites or to just, again, spend a lot of time um, in wasteful activities, unprofitable activities. Abuna, um, there's a follow-up question, uh, and we have just a couple of minutes. Uh, uh, it says from Lydia, uh, thank you for uh, join, uh, joining us, Lydia. It says, um, how can God be moved to act if he is unchangeable? Also, does it mean he isn't already doing those things until we ask? Well, there, uh, I think it was St. Augustine, he has a beautiful expression. He says, you know, God created you without your will, but he cannot save you without your will or your cooperation, right? So in the course of, of um, God creating the world and creating us, yes, we have, we have no uh, say, we have no part in, 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 in that. But our salvation and the salvation of one another depends, depends on our actions, depends on our participation. And so... Um, so, so, so God has ordained, if you will, um, that our salvation is tied to this cooperation, the synergy. God wants to act. God wants to, 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 to move, to do things in, in the world, but he also wants it to come from our participation. And so, um, I would, I would say without getting into too deep of a theological kind of discussion here, um, that this is not in contradiction to the to God being unchangeable. God is unchangeable in uh, in His essence, but but in in our salvation, right? God is unchangeable in His in His being, but as it relates to how we are saved, it is always a synergy. It is always a cooperation. Otherwise, we would have to conclude that um, we are all predestined. In other words, you know, we are we are created some for for salvation and some for damnation, and that whatever we do doesn't really change anything. But, but we, we participate in our own salvation, 
and in the salvation of others. We are tied to one another. And so our prayer life, our community life, our church life, and the sacramental life, all of these things require this participative aspect. Uh, thank you very much, Abuna. You've been um, watching the Coptic Cafe program on uh, Anapora Radio. Thank you for joining us uh, this evening. We are very pleased to announce next week we will have um, His Eminence, Metropolitan Serapion, live uh, on Thursday, a different time, uh, 7 p.m. And we will also have a chance to speak with uh, Archbishop Angelus from uh, London uh, next week as well. We'll announce more info about uh, those events. So um, thank you for joining us um, this evening. We appreciate your uh, uh, support for the program and we look forward to joining you. Thank you, Abuna Krillis, for uh, joining us tonight. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a blessing. blessing to have you. We're going to close the program now and control room uh, Father Mike Fanus, the, the hidden angel who's running this whole thing, uh, can uh, stop recording or continue to record whichever, but we'll end the program here and then we'll continue to ask uh, questions. And if you don't mind, um, my uh, beloved uh, attendees, we would like to test this uh, live um, um, call-in, or you can speak live on the program. So if you'd like to speak, just raise your hands. I'll come to your um, profile and uh, unmute your microphone, and you'll be able to ask a quick question or two. Uh, while we're doing that, Yibunam, we have a lot more questions. Maybe we'll save some of them um, for next time or for another episode. Uh, someone was asking about, have we found a clever a uh, way to pray Holy Week virtually um, <clears throat> other than live streaming and utilizing Zoom. Uh, we have not, but if you have any ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, there are a lot of uh, tech-savvy people out there, and um, it'd be great if um, you have ideas for us to, um, uh, to entertain. Another question says, um, I've been struggling recently with the idea of God's will and completely trusting Him. How can I discern between when it is the right time to be proactive and make decisions versus letting go completely and allowing God to work His will in my life? Want me to take yeah. a stab at that? <laughs> <laughs> so without uh, uh, self-promotion, uh, last Sunday I gave a talk for Coptic Orthodox Answers. Uh, and it was really uh, almost um, centered on, on, that, on that question in many ways. Uh, so I encourage you, if you go to their YouTube channel, Coptic Orthodox Answers, and you look at the recording from last Sunday, it might be helpful to the question that was asked. But I will, I will just say that you know, we have to balance in our life seeking, um, when we seek God's will, to seek clarity for God's will and living our life with trust. And those aren't always uh, necessarily the same thing. As a matter of fact, sometimes they, they, they very much oppose one another. Sometimes, you know, there are things that are very clear that are God's will, especially the things that are in the Gospels, or the commandments and the, the precepts of the Gospel, very clear. There are other things that are clear in, as it relates to our vocation. So if we're a priest or we're a monastic or we're a husband or a wife or, uh, you know, a father or a mother, uh, these things come with certain godly expectations, commandments, and requirements that we don't have to question. We, don't, we, we know what God's will is in those circumstances. But then there are many aspects in our life where 
you know, we have to make decisions. Which college do I go to? Which job do I take? Which career do I choose? And here, the best thing for us to do is number one, of course, is to pray and to continually pray for some enlightenment. Number two is to seek godly counsel from our spiritual father, confession father, other godly people that we trust. Um, and then number three is that when the time of decision comes, is to not be afraid to make a decision. Even if we haven't at that point found the clarity that we're seeking, even if it hasn't become very clear that God is pushing us in one direction, it still seems like there are two or three equally you know, uh, good options. Here is where trust comes in, where we just have to make a decision. And again, we trust that if for any reason this decision is not good for us, that a door will be shut and another door will open. You know, and that, that God is not, he's not looking for a way to trap us into some wrong decisions or bad decisions in our life. But it just means that sometimes God does not make specific decisions in our life clear with a, a certain clarity. And we, we have to live our life trusting by making decisions, again, based on prayer, godly counsel, and then, and then following what's in our heart. Okay, we have someone who raised their hands, Nancy. Um, let's unmute. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the Coptic Cafe post show. So, <laughs> I have a, sort of a half, I don't know, it's a half serious question. At what point do you think, or is this allowed now, virtual confession? Is that something that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's a very good question. On the table? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I mean, I, would, I don't know where, Nancy, where you live and maybe which bishop you're under, but uh, in our diocese, uh, given the circumstances, we, we, do, we do have permission now to take confessions by phone. Um, and again, we're, we're, we're dealing with kind of uh, unique circumstances that are requiring unique uh, solutions to the pastoral care of our people. And so... You know, maybe, I don't know, Nancy, if you saw, saw some of, uh, in the Catholic Church, they had some uh, creative kind of drive-by drive or drive-through confessions. And, uh, you know, all of these are actually beautifully creative ways in which we priests can remain in contact with our people, providing them with uh, the sacramental life as best as we can, providing them with an opportunity to confess and receive absolution. So absolutely, I, I, I've done it many times. I'm sure Father Joseph also can share his experience. You know, again, it's not something that once this situation were, has become behind us that we, you know, continue, we prefer, and it's better obviously and required that we have more face-to-face, -face, but we're living in very unusual circumstances that require some unusual um, responses, so. Yeah. Like Otsak said, you've been on it for a few weeks and, uh... And then we, we pray for things to come back to normal. Uh, and hopefully um, that will be soon. Thank you, Nancy, for coming in and testing out this neat feature. So we'll have live callers now on the program. <laughs> uh, Abuna, there was another question from Carolyn. Uh, Hi, Abuna, thank you for blessing us. I try to be positive, And when I feel anxious, I let myself positive. come in a play and reassure myself, trust in God's permission. But I still get this time when I feel low and defeated, that very difficult to carry alone. 
I work in a field where part of the job is to help people feel safe and calm them down. But sometimes I um, carry a heavy burden as I'm in the same boat, but maybe in a different part. What's a suggestion, suggestion you have to keep yeah. my peace and forgive me. I'm just going to grab my dog. He's been very patient for the last hour. <laughs> okay, so um, a very good question. All of us are, are facing um, moments of anxiousness or, or fear or uncertainty. And that's a very normal uh, reaction and experience to what we're going through. And I don't think we would be human if, if, if we didn't feel those things. But remember that, you know, there are, there are levels to our human nature. And um, there is at the level of, of our psyche or our soul, right? There are a lot of these things that are taking place. But there's also at the deeper level of the heart, the deeper level of the spirit, there is that decision that we make. The decision that thy will be done. The decision that, Lord, I trust in you. So I can say that with my will, even if my mind is still you know, circling with negative thoughts, or even if I feel a certain anxiety or a certain fear uh, about the future, but I can still, at a deeper level, I can say, Lord, thy will be done. Let it be done to me according to your word. I trust in you. And, and that's, not, that's not in conflict, right? I mean, think of, again, our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it be possible, let this cup pass, but, not, but nonetheless, let it be thy will, according to your will, right? So there is, there is a certain uh, tension sometimes. And so the will here is what the Lord is looking for. What's your decision? Not what you're feeling so much, but what's your decision? If your decision is to trust in him, if your decision is to keep believing and to putting your hope and accepting his will, then, then you, are, you are living according to his will. Even if your mind, again, is, 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 is dealing with these negative thoughts and so on. So go deeper. And in that deep place, in the spirit and in the, in the spiritual heart, say, when you find those um, thoughts bother, bothersome, just repeat, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. Lord thy will be done. Lord, I accept the circumstances of my life. Give me the strength. And, and be at peace, even if you feel, you, you feel differently, but you've made that decision, you've made that, that commitment. Thank you, Buna. Um, we have another question about someone in authority. How do you practice self-denying when, when in a position of uh, authority? Well, obviously, if you're in a position of authority, you have to exercise your duties and be faithful to your duties. But let me give you an example. Our Lord Jesus Christ was uh, clearly in a position of authority, but he was humble, he was meek, he was kind, he was gentle. And so he exercised his authority absolutely. He spoke the truth in love. So in the same way, being in a position of, of authority doesn't mean that we have to crush our neighbor or to, to, you know, um, to impose ourselves in a way that, that diminishes the person. Uh, authority can, can be, again, in the example of Christ, can be most beautifully lived and expressed 
through a, a humble spirit, a gentle spirit, a meek spirit. And so, you know, being faithful to your duties is not uh, the problem. It's, it's, again, being able to do that in a way that doesn't come out of your ego, right? Um, one can be in a position of authority and the ego within, again, seeks to destroy or diminish the person or to usurp the space of the other person. But the humble person can be very effective as an authority and lift up the person. So I don't know, Abuna, if you want to add to that. No, thank you very much, Abuna. It's very, uh, very to the point. Um, we have some more questions. I don't know uh, Otsak's uh, time. I'm okay for some more time. If, if Otsak is good, we can. Oh, no, uh, we're good. Uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes I feel like I'm at the peak with my spiritual life and I'm growing closer to God, but it only lasts for some time. And then I am drifting from God again. How can we carry this peak of being with the Lord during this difficult time and stay close to him even when quarantine is over? Very good question. The spiritual life is always going to be a series of ups and downs times of consolation and times of desolation, times of perceived spiritual strength and times of perceived spiritual weakness. This cycle uh, is very normal, even among the greatest of saints. They go through these dry periods. They go through periods where um, uh, they feel even that uh, God has abandoned them. And, uh, and there are times where God consoles us with a certain experience of his presence we feel that in prayer. Sometimes we pray the same prayers and we feel very close to God. And sometimes we, feel, we pray the same prayers and we feel very distant. Sometimes we stand at liturgy and we say, oh, this was an amazing liturgy, but it's the exact same liturgy that we've been praying our, our whole life. But why is it different? Well, we experience a moment of consolation, of grace. But in all of those circumstances, it doesn't mean that God is necessarily closer to us or distant from us, but it's simply our feelings that are that are being allowed to cooperate with those experiences. So in times where we don't feel um, that closeness or that, uh, that experience, we have to accept that that time is, again, a time of purification. God is purifying us from, from self-love in order to love him in a more pure way. When I stand and I pray, even though I feel like I'm getting much from it, then, then I'm praying with a pure love because I'm, I'm praying from selflessness. But if I pray only when, when I experience some delight, well, then my prayer becomes more about the delight, right? And so uh, there's a, a, a Roman Catholic saint, St. Padre Pio of Pietrelcina, who says that, you know, God sometimes removes his sweetness in order that we love him and not his sweetness, right? So imagine that some of these experiences that we have in the spiritual life are like candies that God sends us from heaven. They taste good. They, they give us a sense of delight, but it's not the real mood, uh, food, not the real meat. And so like children, you know, if you give your children candy, they'll be very happy and they'll think that you're the best parent in the world, but, but it's not actually what's best for them. So sometimes in the spiritual life, that those dry periods, those, those arid periods, kind of going back to the desert image, the periods of being in the desert, are the most fruitful periods because they teach us how to love 
in a selfless way, in a pure way, and they strip us of all of the, the self-love that we've been relying on. Thank you, Guna. Um, someone has their hands up, Magda Said. Hi, Magda. Let me try to unmute. Hey. Um, there we go. Hi, Magda. Can you Hi. hear? Welcome and thank you for joining Coptic Cafe. It's a blessing to have you. Thank you very much. I have a request rather, um, or maybe a guidance. How do we explain to ourselves and others uh, what, what is going to happen? now that we're getting into the end of Great Lent and coming Holy Week, and we're not going to be able to um, worship in church. How do we comfort others about this in a proper way? Very good question. Magda, thank you for calling. Um, it's a great pleasure listening to Coptic Cafe. Uh, thank and, you so uh, much. We'll have a chance for Abuna Krullus to uh, respond, but I also invite you to um, come live next Thursday. Uh, we'll have His Eminence, uh, Metropolitan Srapion, on the Coptic Cafe program. And uh, uh, all the blessed participants are invited to be uh, live with uh, Sayedna. And uh, we will definitely speak regarding the issue. So I'll just make a brief comment on that, um, since you obviously next week you'll get the the answer uh, more clearly from Sayyidna. But um, and the first beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And uh, there is a blessing in the poverty of spirit. There's a blessing in um, sometimes being deprived of what we think makes us rich. So before this quarantine, perhaps we saw ourselves as very rich in spirit. We had the sacraments, we had liturgy every day during Lent, we had access to our clergy, we had uh, all kinds of uh, wonderful graces that we were receiving during this time. And now we have become poor. We have no access to our churches, we have no access to our, we have limited access to our priests, we have no access to the Eucharist. We have no access to even Holy Week, perhaps. And so we, we ask this question, a very good question. What do we do with that poverty? I think the first thing is that we see the blessing in it. I know that that sounds a bit strange, but Christ, again, said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is something in this desert experience. There is something in this poverty that is good for us. To be deprived at this time for a, for a time is good for us. Now, that, that doesn't mean that if we have the option to change it, we, we shouldn't change it. But when, when things are out of our control, when things are out of our hands, or as his eminence has said, has been imposed upon us, right? Then it is a time to remain poor and to, 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 to develop that posture of a truly poor person. You know, a poor person stands on the corner of the street and truly begs, truly feels what it's like to, 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 to feel the, the coldness of the elements, right? The, to feel hunger and thirst, to feel loneliness. And sometimes that experience of poverty is what's going to bring us into a, a more intense 
and wonderful relationship with God because it's going to teach us how to go deeper and cry from the heart and to, and to really call out to God for mercy. And, and maybe, maybe we need that, you know, as, as, as individuals, as a church, as, a, as an international community, as the world, we need. We need to learn how to be poor right now in order that we learn how to cry out as poor people. And again, we'll have more on that next week when we have his eminence. Uh, Abuna, someone was asking, um, uh, does Utsak remember any time in uh, history where the church voluntarily closed um, uh, its doors? And um, uh, if the church considers uh, communion and um, as essential, uh, why did we close the church and how long are we willing to keep it closed? Yeah. Very good question. I, I, I can't answer the first question because I'm not a very good church historian. Uh, so I don't want to presume to answer that question. But the second qu part of the question, the Eucharist and essential and, and so on. Let me just say this. Um, if, if, if I'm presented with uh, a certain danger to me in approaching to take communion, for example, persecution, um, you know, under communism, they're trying to sh close the churches and, you know, and so you could be maybe killed by trying to secretly perform liturgy. But when I, when I face uh, any sort of personal danger, I should put the Eucharist and the, and the life, the life-giving um, mystery of, of the Eucharist above my life, Right. Whatever, whatever risk po is posed to me, I, I see the life in the Eucharist as being greater than the, than the death that I risk, whatever, even if it's my own life. So that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, um, what we're facing today is something very different. What we're facing today is not the personal risk for taking the Eucharist, you know, and whatever danger that might present to me personally. It's what the gatherings in, in the church, right? And so on your way to the church, there are a million things that can happen, right? There are a million things that you can, you can touch or you can uh, expose in the air. Um, there's the proximity that puts you in proximity to, to, to others. Um, there's the gas station that you have to go to to fill up gas that you touch the handle. There, but there's all kinds of things now that not just put you at risk, but put other people at risk. And so for that reason, the church took the measure that it took, not because we're asking people not to take a personal risk to, to their own you know, safety, but, but because we're asking people to think about their brother, to think about their sister, to sacrifice something that they want for themselves and are willing to, to sacrifice for themselves in order to protect, as we have been saying you know, in the news so much, the more vulnerable people of our, of our community. And all our churches have those, and we and we have we have many many communities now Coptic communities that have been affected in the East Coast and elsewhere um, that are, have been hospitalized. We have already lost people. Uh, there have already been many funerals because of people who have come down with the virus. And there's all kinds of news stories now. Um, there's one that came out yesterday that's been in the news circulating today in Sacramento about a church in Sacramento that you know some 70 people have been. Um, impacted by the coronavirus by gathering in the church, so uh, so it's so now we we make this sacrifice because of the danger that it poses to my neighbor, not because I'm afraid of my life, 
which I should be willing to, to sacrifice my life and to take any risk for my life to, to partake of the life-giving nature of the Eucharist. Yes, Abuna, and um, sorry, I didn't realize my microphone was not on. Um, were, were Otsak able to hear me before? Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Um, Abuna, uh, Otsak, for this issue about closure of the church, absolutely right, because uh, Christians are supposed to be the light of the world, and uh, we bring uh, peace and comfort to people, not disease and infection. And uh, like Otsak mentioned, if, if it was just, uh, if it would stop with me, in other words, if it wasn't an infectious disease, then a Christian would go and um, it would be, you know, um, a chance or whatever happens, happens. But when I go to church and then uh, I come back and then I meet with elderly people or I meet with my own family and uh, expose them to the danger and God forbid something happens, um, then we became an agent of spreading that illness and disease. And Christians should not be... Uh, in that position. So there's a big difference between me offering myself as martyr um, with my own, uh, on my own freedom, with my own freedom, than forcing someone else to become a martyr by infecting them and, you know, God forbid something bad happens. So this is an absolute mentality that we need to look at it because it is absolutely true that church never closed its doors under persecution or anything like that. It went in the homes of the people, it went in secret places, but it was not stopped. Uh, this is not the case here because we're not forbidding from praying. Uh, there is no persecution against the Christian uh, belief, uh, although, you know, some can argue that, especially here in America, but uh, at least there's no such thing as government uh, banning uh, the celebration of the Eucharist. It's, it's about something else. Now, if this... I say one, one other thing. Sorry, we're we'll finish. No, go ahead. I was going to say something perhaps even more, I hope it's not controversial, but maybe even a bit more bold than what I said before, which is, again, going back to you know, the thousands of people that are in hospital beds dying alone right now. And, uh, you know, we also need this time to be a time of perspective, you know, and, and we have to be careful that as Christians, uh, that we don't present to the world right now that our biggest concern is that we can't gather in our churches and pray as if as if we're the ones who are in the, the most suffering right now right there 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 is a tremendous amount of suffering taking place in every hospital and and around the world in in in, in many ways and we need to unite ourselves to those people we, we can't we can't just make this about us you know and i'm not saying that if we have the opportunity to open our churches and to pray liturgies and Holy Week. Yes, of course, we, we glorify God and praise God for that. But, but at the same time, given the situation we're in, you know, it's an opportunity for us to, to maybe forget about ourselves a little bit in order so that we can unite ourselves in prayer, asking for, for the salvation of these people who are facing their last moments on earth. Many of them, maybe they don't believe in God. Maybe many of them, this is the last hour that they can believe. And we should be praying that God will visit them in, in this last hour. Thank you, Abuna, very much. It was a great blessing to have Otsak. We've gone about uh, 30 minutes over time. Time really flies. <laughs> yes. Thank and, you so uh, much for having me, Abuna. Thank you for your wisdom and your blessed uh, word and message. Here to learn. And we really look forward to having you again on the program. 
Thank you, my uh, father. For Pray everyone for me. else who's still me. on, uh, you get a, a secret uh, for hanging on this late. We are going to have his, uh, the Archbishop uh, uh, Angelus, uh, his Bishop of uh, London. Uh, he will be with us on Tuesday at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It will be a programmed uh, uh, session and then we'll rebroadcast it on Friday night in case uh, someone is unable to listen to it at 2 p.m. on Tuesday. So if you're available and you're able, uh, we will send out messages and uh, prepare your questions ahead of time. His uh, uh, Grace is going to speak about uh, hope, on hope during uh, these uh, turbulent times. And uh, His Eminence Metropolitan Serapion, on Thursday of the same week at 7 p.m., he will speak on um, uh, Good Friday and Holy Week and uh, all of the related um, uh, events. Uh, so put in your questions uh, ahead of time, so we'll uh, organize them, catalog them, uh, maybe group them together so we don't have repetition, but it helps if we have these things in advance. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to having you on uh, the next time of Coptic Cafe on Anapora Radio. Thank you.